0: Well, this morning, uh, I want to. We're going to be spending our time um, in Luke 15, looking at the parable of the prodigal son. Um, so, go ahead and uh, get to Luke 15 in your Bibles, and um, I'm going to open us up with some prayer, and we will just jump right in. God, this life belongs to you. Our lives, our existence, uh, this morning, all belongs to you and it is all for you. Uh, and we give you great thanks that you have allowed us to live such lives that we could worship you and know you and, and bring glory to your name, that you have given us such joy and, and such purpose. And God, uh, I recognize in myself uh, a great need. Uh, to know you, to understand you, um, for from you flows this life. And apart from you, there is no life, there is no worship. Um, So please, Father, do a work in us this morning. Teach us of who you are. Reveal to us by the power of your spirit your grace and your love extended to us that we would see in a new light, that we would understand in a new way, that we would hear as if for the first time how great you are and that all of our life would be a response to knowing you. So please soften our hearts, open our minds and our ears, give us uh, the ability to listen and to hear what you speak to us this morning. Amen. All right, so the parable of the the prodigal son, as it's commonly known, um, is is Jesus telling a, a story, a parable about a father who has two sons. Right, there's two sons in the story, um, and it's a parable I'm sure we're we're all quite familiar with. We've heard it before. It's a it's a very popular story that Jesus tells, um, but it's. Uh, it's an incredible story. It's, it's an incredible parable that Jesus would choose to say these words to the crowd before him and that we can continue to, to see these words that Jesus spoke. And, and I think as we, if we can really understand and really meditate on and let God speak to us through Jesus' words recorded here, we would see just how radical and amazing these words are that it's not just another parable that we know in in, in Sunday school and it's we put cartoons to it it's it's a, it's a radical reshaping of of a world view it's a radical reshaping of how man thinks about and interacts with god i was listening to a couple sermons that others had done on this matt chandler says this is one of the parables that God Jesus killed. Right? It was so radical, in your face, flips everything upside down. This, this made people angry, what he was saying here. And, and the more that I read through it and, and thought through it and really um, asked God to just reveal uh, the truth of what Jesus is saying, the more I understood just how offensive this could be to some people in the crowd that are listening and, and how offensive it was to me because I hadn't really understand, understood it before and, I, and I, don't, I still don't fully understand it. I still don't fully grasp these concepts but I pray by the grace of God that I would, that I would grow in that. So before we jump into the parable which starts at verse 11, uh, let's just kind of set the scene first. So Luke 15 um, verses 1 and 2 sets the scene and it says this is Jesus' audience. This is who he's speaking this parable to. These are the people that are listening to these words. And it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he goes on and he tells the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And so this is this is the scene laid out before us. There's two main people groups in this crowd. There's the sinners and tax collectors and the Pharisees. And I think understanding uh, these, these people, these two groups, will help us understand why, why Jesus' words are so radical, in your face. I'm going to change everything about what you think you know. Right? So the sinners and the tax collectors... Um, well let 's start with tax collectors, all right and we we all know if you went to Sunday school, I think i don 't remember much of sunday school, but i 'm pretty sure it was communicated tax collectors are bad, they were bad people, nobody liked them because uh, they were supposed to take twenty, but they took forty and kept twenty for themselves um, and that might have been true, but that 's not. That doesn't really get at sort of why people held tax collectors in such um, why they, they hated them so much. Right? You, have, you have Israel, who is a nation, God's, God's people who are struggling to exist throughout history. And at, at this time it is Rome who rules the known world. Right? In Rome, they're not they're not super nice people. Right. They are cruel. Right? If you want to dominate the world, you don't do it through kindness at that time. You rule with fear and power. Right? And this is what Rome did. They dominated other nations through murdering vast numbers of people, through intimidation, through fear. Right? And, and so it was when they came to uh, be an authority over Israel. It was, it was through sheer force and power. And what the tax collectors were is they were, they were citizens of the nation, citizens of Israel, who basically said, I'm going to go work for the enemy. I'm going to fund their oppressive army. I'm going to fund their government by taking money from my neighbors and giving it to them. Right? So if you can imagine some foreign nation comes in and takes over and they're... They're raping and murdering and stealing everything. And your neighbor says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take some money from you and give it to them so they can keep doing it. We don't, I wouldn't like that person. I would not have kind words for that person. I would struggle to find the love in my heart for that person. Right? These people are despised. They are outcasts. Moral outcasts—the choices they have made have caused them to be shunned. And then sinners—we're all sinners, right? We all sin. We—this is our idea of sin—is that we all struggle with sin. You sin, I sin, they sin. We all sin. Um, but in this time, sinners was a sinner. It was a category. It was a type of person. It was the lowest of the lows. It was those who. Um, Morally are, are making the worst possible decisions or in the worst place in life and and so we will just distance ourselves from them right? prostitutes um, I guess for our time you know, drug dealers drug users um, sex offenders convicted felons these people that 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 the general population just kind of looks down on and says you just kind of will shove you over there and we will ignore you and distance ourselves from you because we don't want to have anything to do with you. Those are sinners in this context. And that right there is convicting for me because I don't really identify w- with that. I'm, I'm not a sinner in the crowd in that sense. I'm not being shunned by the community because of the, the life I have chosen. Right? Yeah, yes, I sinned. I struggle with sin, but, but I'm not one of those people that you would hesitate to want to be around. But those are sinners. Nobody likes them. Those are tax collectors. Everybody hates them. They have no place in their community. They're outcasts. So there's sinners and tax collectors. And then there's Pharisees. Right? The complete opposite of the spectrum. They, I mean, they know it all. They, they, know, they know more Bible than, let's just say, probably all of us in this room. They, right, to be a Pharisee, you, you memorized the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. How many people, you don't have to raise your hand, but just do an honest self-check, how many people have actually managed to actually just at least once read through those five books? They memorized it. They knew the law. And they lived it. They lived it so sternly that they actually added to it to avoid breaking the laws. They put laws around the laws so that they just wouldn't even get close. Right? And so you have, we have these two complete polar opposite people. Right? The self-righteous, I know it all, I can do it all, and the lowly, forgotten, outcast. These are the people that Jesus is speaking to. These are the people that are hearing the words that Jesus is speaking. They're listening to this parable, and it is turning their world upside down. So let's work through the parable, uh, and this we'll see how this goes. Um, all right, we'll go through it bit by bit, and I'll kind of. Uh, explain some things here and there so we can work through sort of the cultural context and we can get our mindset into uh, what do these things really mean? This is happening. Who cares about a calf? Like, I don't even want a cow in my yard. You know, what does that mean for them? All right, so starting in verse 11, and again, keep in mind, the sinners, the tax collectors, the Pharisees are hearing these words and they have expectations, right? They think they know where Jesus is going but they have no idea what he's actually doing. So verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Right? So the younger son goes to his father and says, father, give me my inheritance now. And the father says, Okay. Here you go. All right. So the younger son would have received one-third of the father's wealth, the father's land, um, while the older son would have received two-thirds, a double portion from what the other siblings would have received. So two, two siblings, one-third, two-thirds. The younger brother would have gotten one-third of everything. All right. There's no bank account. It's not like he's just... Father, I want one-third of your savings plan. There is no savings plan. There's the land. There's the livestock. There's the business. Right? There's the trade. For the father to give one-third of, of his wealth to his younger son, he would have sold a third of his property. He would have sold off livestock. He would have sold off any one-third of any business that he was running. He would have literally divided his life up. Everything he had, his livelihood, and the land wasn't just a luxury, it was his life. If you didn't have land, you didn't, you didn't have life. You couldn't uh, raise livestock. You couldn't um, grow crops. You couldn't, you couldn't live apart from your land. You were so dependent on your land. The land was your livelihood, And what the younger son asks is, Father, I want you to split up your life. I want you to divide your life, cut your life up, and give me what's mine. Sell off your property. Sell some livestock. Give it to me. And this is what the father does. And and it gets worse because what the younger son is, is really communicating to his father is, I... I wish you were dead so that I could just have all this stuff now. Right? And we know that inheritance usually comes after the death of a parent or the parents. Right? And that's, that's normal. That's stayed true throughout the years. Uh, and whether or not the son really wished his father would just die right there, uh, that's probably a bit too extreme. But what's, what's being communicated is, Father, I, you're dead to me. I don't want you. I want nothing to do with you. Leave me alone. You are dead to me. Just give me what's mine so I can go. I want your stuff. I want your things. I want your money and your property, but I don't want you. I'm done, I'm done with you. Just give me your things. The younger son wants his father's things, but he doesn't want his father. Continues on in verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Right, So it, it takes some time, obviously, to divide up and sell off your, some property, and then it takes some time for the, the son to, to sort of gather that up and liquidate the things that he had received, and, and he turns it into cash, and, and he goes off into a far-off country, into a foreign land, where he lives selfishly, where he lives freely, at least what is sort of perceived as freedom. He, he doesn't have to live under the rules of his father anymore. He doesn't have to live up to the expectations of, of being a son. He doesn't have to fill, fill in the shoes of an older brother and follow in his footsteps. He's free to do what he wants. His life is his, it's his own. He's his own man, he's his own ruler, he is his own God. And nothing can stop him, there is no hindrance. Right? His father could have said, no, I'm, of course, you're, you're being ridiculous, you're being silly, go to your room. I'm not going to give you a third of my estate. You selfish brat, where did I go wrong? Right? But that's not the father's response. But that was certainly the father's right. He could have kicked him out of the family with nothing. could have shunned him, verbally and physically beaten him out of the family and, and kicked him out. And the community certainly wouldn't have accepted him, right? Because everyone in the audience who's listening right now, especially the Pharisees, are thinking, what? Nobody does this. What kind of son goes to his father with such a request? Right? And before Jesus gives the line of it and his father did it, they're all thinking, this is... This is going to be great. This father's going to lay it down. He's going to just let him have it. No. And he divided his property between what? What? Jesus, you're, you're wrong. That's not what happens. That's not what we expect. That's not what the world expects from such a situation he gets what he wants and he get and not only that but it, he doesn't go serve in the peace corps and, and give and donate his money he goes and he just lives for self indulging in the flesh welcoming the behavior of a sinner and just having it all and everyone in the crowd is thinking this isn't, this isn't real. This isn't happening. This is not true. But when he had spent everything, right? So just no, there's no budget laid out. There's no, I can only spend so much on these drugs and so much on this party and so much. on Whatever he's doing, he just goes for it. All out, just... All in, spends everything. That's when a famine hits. All right, and just a little side note: when we, when we have exhausted our resources, is often when God will bring a crisis into our life to just to break you. He will, he will break you. All right, so the famine hits. He has nothing, and and. And again, this, we read through this story in, in half a chapter, and it takes us two minutes. But I imagine this is taking months, if not years, to sort of unfold. All right, the famine hits, and oh, he, he goes to his friends, what friends he has, and he, he kind of manages to scrape along for a while. But eventually, he exhausts all his resources, all his relationships, and he's got nothing And so he's resourceful, at least, and says, I need a job. But the only job he can get is to feed the pigs. And the crowd is thinking, pigs? Yuck. No. Unclean. Right? Even the sinners and tax collectors would think, no way. If Rome asked me to to feed pigs, I wouldn't do it. I'll take your money and I'll fund your enemy army, but I will not. Feed your pigs. And the Pharisees, of course, are certainly thinking, I won't even even think about pigs. It's unclean. It's forbidden. It's it's disgusting. It's it's vile. It's it's the lowest of lows. It's rock bottom. This son has lost it all. He lived the high life for who knows how long, and he is a rock bottom but rock bottom's not, it's not good enough, right? And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. He was still hungry. He had a job, obviously didn't pay very well. The worst job, who knows what sort of moral code or conscience he had to break through and break down to come to the point where, okay, yeah, I'll work at the pig farm. He is broken. He has been his life has been shattered. He's got nothing left. No self-worth, no self-value, no self-esteem. He's at the lowest of lows, and it's not, it's not enough. He's still wasting away. He's still going hungry. And no one's giving. He's got no friends. No one is taking pity on him. No one sees him and thinks, wow, this poor kid. No He's got nothing, and he's wasting away. Verse 17, it continues, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Right? So he, he comes to himself. He, he comes to his senses. Right? He has a moment where he realizes his brokenness and his desperation and how he is in such great need. Right. Because everything has been stripped away. He can't even rely on himself anymore. He has nothing. He comes to himself and he remembers my father. My father's Wealth is so vast that his servants eat well. That the crumbs that fall from his table are enough for me to feast on. Right, And so let's, let's just acknowledge that the wealth that this father has, the abundant riches that this father has to feed his entire estate, all his employees, his workers, his slaves, his family, they all have enough and more than enough. The wealth of this father is great. And his son remembers that. In his brokenness, he sees, he sees a situation, and he remembers his father. And so he devises a plan. He says, okay, I'll go home, and, and I, I know that I've done wrong. Right? He's, I think he's truly recognizing that he, he has made a huge mistake. Obviously, things didn't work out as planned. And so he said, I'll go home, and I, won't, I don't, I don't want to be his son. I know I'm not worthy to be his son anymore, but if I could just get a job, that would be great. If I could just benefit in the smallest of ways from my father's wealth, then I will be satisfied. That's, enou- that's enough for me at this point. And so he devises this plan. He's going to go home, and he's going to tell his father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Right? And a hired servant is, is really the, the, far, the, the farthest outside of his father's provision that he can be while still benefiting. Right? A slave would have been part of the family, would have been provided for in every way by the their master, right? They would have lived on the property, they would have eaten um, the food of the family, they would, have, they would have been totally cared for. That's not what he's asking. He wants to be a hired servant, right? Maybe sort of like a, a contracted worker. Come in for a day, do your job, get your paycheck, and leave, right? No association, no affiliation with the family. J- he just wants to. To do a job, get some benefit from it, and, and, and go and, and leave his father alone. All right, so that's his plan. And right now, these sinners and the tax collectors are, are probably thinking, yeah, what's it going to cost him? What, how hard is he going to have to work? how long is he going to have to beg before the father even lets him have a job? And they're thinking, what, what, what's it going to cost me? Right? The sinners and the tax collectors are hearing this parable and they're thinking, I know where, I know where Jesus is going. I, 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 need to, I need to return to my heavenly father and I, I need to beg for the opportunity to work off my debt. What's it going to cost me, Jesus? Let's just get this over with. What are you telling me I'm going to have to pay? And the Pharisees are thinking, I cannot wait for this son to get what's coming to him. To watch him have to beg and to work and to suffer continually, continually, again and again. And I can't wait for the father to dismiss him. That's what the Pharisees are expecting. Verse 20, so he arose and came to his father. Here, here he comes. What's it going to cost him? I can't wait to see pure sweet justice rain down on this ignorant young son. He rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Everyone in this crowd finally agrees on something and they all have the same reaction. What? Did I, did, I, did I hear that correctly? Is this really how this story unfolds? The sinners and the tax collectors wanting to know what it's going to cost them to earn their way back into the graces of the Father. And this Father runs and embraces and kisses him and, and restores him to sonship with the robe and the ring and the shoes and the fattened calf and the celebration and the party. No, 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 no. Don't tell me, Jesus, that this is how it works. And the Pharisees, what? Where's the justice? Where's the punishment? Where's the... There's nothing. There's, There's nothing. What is going on? All of their expectations just got blown up. Their worldview, how they thought the world worked, how they thought their God worked, it's not how it works. All right, so the son is coming home, rehearsing his speech over and over again. He's probably nervous, obviously. Right? The father could, could reject him. He could die Right, if he doesn't get a job, he's gonna starve. Obviously, no one in the community is gonna want to have anything to do with him. And the father sees him a long way off. He's waiting for him night after night, looking for him, and he runs. Fathers don't run, okay? I mean, these days they do to keep it keep in shape, but back then they they didn't run, they had servants that ran. They had people, this father with this wealth, he said, hey, go run for me. Why, what am I, run? just do it, right? His father doesn't run. He doesn't pick up his robe and expose his legs and run. That's a shameful act. And, and the crowd's expectations of how this father should respond, what he should do, the last thing they thought is that he should shame himself and run. This guy's crazy. No wonder his son did. There's crazy runs through the family. He's, okay, call him crazy. It's crazy love. That's not a plug for the book. <laughs> Just realized. Um, he's overcome with compassion. And he runs throws aside all expectations and runs, humbles himself and runs to his son and he he falls on his neck and he kisses him and he embraces him. And the son says, well, I just, I gotta get this out now. Father, I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And, and whether or not the father interrupts him at this point or he, the son just realizes it's probably not an appropriate time to ask for a job is, is, is not quite clear. But either way, that part never comes up. The son confesses to his father, and he's, he, what he says is true. I'm not worthy to be your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Right. No, you the son is not worthy and he's probably filthy and dirty, smells like pigs. Right? He he can't afford to to bathe himself. He doesn't have shoes. He's been walking for a long time. He's dirty. Right? Like literally physically dirty and ceremoniously he's unclean. He's been working with the pigs. And the father says, I I will clothe you with my clean, cleanliness. I will clothe you with my robe. I will give you my, my cleanliness. It is yours now. And the Son has no, no right, no authority, no standing to ask anything of the Father. And the Father says, I, I, give you, I give you my ring, a symbol that you are part of the family, and whether it was a ring that reinstated authority as sonship or, or not is unclear, but a ring symbolizing you, your back, you're my son, I will make you clean, I will make you my son, put shoes on his feet. I will enable you to walk. I will give you this, this comfort. I have made you clean. You are my son. You will enjoy these benefits. And bring, and he says to his servant, bring the fattened calf and kill it. And we're all thinking, yeah, I can't wait for my dad to kill our cow. Um, right, the fattened calf is, is a huge statement. Right, so back then they don't they don't eat meat, right? It's not uh, something that they enjoy on a regular basis. It was it was for special occasions only, and the fattened calf was raised especially for parties. It was the most expensive thing, probably that the father had, in terms of livestock at least. It 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 got all the attention. It got all the best food. It was being raised for a celebration, for the purpose of throwing the biggest party ever. That was the fattened calf. This is the party to end all parties. This is the celebration to end all celebrations. And the whole community would have been invited. This wasn't just a family affair, father, son, mother, hey, we're just gonna eat some nice meat and listen to some music. This is, everybody is invited. All expenses paid, open bar, all the best food. This is a lavish, expensive party because the father is celebrating. His son has returned. He was dead but is alive. He has come back. What joy that is for the father. What joy it brings him that his son has returned home, that he gets to celebrate, that he gets To throw this party for him now, that he gets to reinstate him as a son. There is no greater joy that the Father has in this parable and in our existence, our Heavenly Father. There is no greater joy that He has than to receive back what has been lost. And we'll talk about that later. This is an expensive party. All right, And so that's sort of the first part. That's the younger son in the parable. That's sort of his story played out. And now we see the older son. Now his older son, verse 25, was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. I don't know how you hear dancing, but this was... This was a heck of a party, I guess. All right, maybe they added, maybe it was tap dancing or clogging or something, I guess. He drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. very easy for us to see and identify with the younger son in his sin right he goes away he asks such a disrespectful thing of his father and he's acting so selfishly and he goes out and he lives for self and indulges in self and he's he comes to the end of his rope and part of us is like yes you deserve it and he comes home and he's received back and we're like yes God is good It's very easy for that's a that's a pretty normal picture of sin, for us to understand. Uh, With the older son, it's. I don't think it's any more difficult to see his sin, but it, it. We I, I think we hesitate to identify with it, because we don't, we don't like this. It's it's hard for us to see this within ourselves, but I believe that it is there. Right, he hears the the music and the dancing and he he asks a servant what's going what's going on and the servant says well guess what little brother's home and the son's thinking well what's the party for did my dad kill him are they celebrating that he says no he received him back safe and sound and you see that the older son's reaction is the same that the reaction the Pharisees would be having. I just, I don't understand what's going on. I'm lost, Jesus. I, I literally don't understand what you're saying. And he's angry. And so his father comes out to entreat him, to reason with him, to talk with him. Please, you know, hey, what are you doing? Didn't you hear the music and the dancing? Is there something wrong? Why are you out here? Come enjoy the celebration. Come into the house, come see your brother. His father entreats him, and again, this is not what a father does. He has servants to go out and talk to people for him. All right The host of the party, the one who has has funded the most expensive party the community has ever known, everybody wants to talk to him, everybody wants to shake his hand and be in his company, oh, sorry, I have to go deal with my son. He, did, he, he shouldn't have to do that. But he does. And he doesn't go out there and say, you listen, you disrespectful, arrogant son, this is what you need to do now because I'm your father and I'm telling you to do it, so you better do it. He entreats him. He pleads with him. In humility, he comes out and, and pleads with his son, please, what are, you, what are you doing? Help me to understand. And his older son, the way he addresses his father, he says, look, not, Father, please understand and hear what I'm about to say. He says, now you listen to me. Look, I have, I have obeyed your every command for years. I have never done anything wrong. I have lived up to every single expectation that I thought you had of me. And you never even gave me a goat goat. Nobody wants to eat a goat. The older son has built up this this false reality within his mind that if he just works hard enough, if he can just be perfect, his father will have to bless him. If I can just reach that status where my father looks at me and says, hey, wow, look at this son. He's earned it. Give him the fattened calf. He thinks he has to, to work for it. And when he gets into that mindset of, what does he want? He wants the father's things. He doesn't want the father. He does, his complaint isn't, isn't his complaint isn't father you've never spent quality time with me i feel like we never talk it's you never gave me your things he doesn't want the father he wants the father's things and not only that in his in his mixed up reality where he thinks he can and force his father's hand of blessing he he lowers himself to these standards as if his father could only offer him a goat, as if that's the best thing he could hope for, is this goat that they've got tons of goats and they're not even raised with any special care. And I don't even know what goat tastes like, but I'm sure it's not as good as the fattened calf. He has been blinded by his self-righteousness, thinking that he has to earn his way in. He has been blinded to see and expect and want less than what is available to him. In verse 31, And he, his father, said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. He can't see it. Because he doesn't want the father and he only wants these things, because he... Only is living for himself, thinking that if he can just perform in a certain way, the father will have to bless him. I'll, I'll finally get these things. He can't even see that he's already got them. They're already available to him. Everything that is the father's is his. And quite literally, the father had divided up his estate. One third went to the younger son and it's gone. What's left, two-thirds. Whose is that? The older son. Everything. Everything that the father had was the older son's, but he couldn't, he couldn't see it. He'd blinded by his self righteousness. His father says, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It is fitting to celebrate. There is no other reaction that is fitting than to celebrate when the lost return. And there the parable ends. What what does the older son do? Does he stay outside? Does he go in? That's the question. That's the question Jesus is offering to the Pharisees. What are you going to do? Yes, Jesus receives tax collectors and sinners, these lowly people that you despise, He seeks them out. He finds them so he can love them. And Jesus is saying, this is is, is God's love. He's celebrating. Jesus is saying, when I do this, when I go have dinner at a tax collector's house, Jesus says, God celebrates. And he, he asks the Pharisees, will you stand outside and refuse to partake in and enjoy this great celebration? which is fitting, will you refuse that or will you come and enjoy the party and be thankful and glad and celebrate because those who are lost have returned? Will you see, older son, will you see that you too are lost? All right, and so I just want to draw out two things quickly as we end. Um, just to highlight and reiterate, is the nature of sin and the gracious love of God. Right, the nature of sin is lostness. We are lost, disconnected from the Father, from our Father. Both sons are lost. The younger is lost in his arrogance in his, I want to live for self, and I'm going to find my own way, and I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to find my own purpose and meaning in life. I don't need you, Father. I don't need you, God. I'll do it on my own. The older son is lost as well. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to fulfill these rules and these expectations. I'm going to force your hand, God. I'm going to live in such a way that you don't have any choice but to give me what I want. Which isn't the Father. It's the things of the Father. The nature of sin is that we live for, it causes us to live for self. We want to be our own God. We want to go our own way. Whether that looks like reckless living or whether that looks like perfect living righteousness. The older son never did it. When he says, I never disobeyed you once, the father doesn't say, Well, well, there was that one time. No, there's no argument. The son did it, the older son did it all. He he followed every command. He lived in every way as he thought was expected of him, as the Pharisees and even the sinners and tax collectors would think this is what this is how it should be. We just need to follow these rules, do this, this, and this. We need to earn our way. We need to work our way. We need to deserve the Father and his things. And what was really convicting for me as I read through and thought through it and thought on this parable is I just want the Father's things. And they're, they're, good. they're good things because they are the Father's. But especially thinking I I just want to be free from this sin. And how that had blinded me to the Father. There have been times and there are times, there are areas in my life and in my heart right now where I don't want the Father. I just want his things. God, if you could just fix me. That'd be great. We'll just kind of go our separate way. That's, that's backwards. It's not, it's, that's not who our Father is. That's not who God is. But it is the nature of sin that we want things for self. We want it because we want it. Right? And I make these really funny jokes at youth group that no one laughs at. Right? Because they just don't get it. I'm, I don't know. I'm ahead of my time, right? Um, But we are so self-absorbed, and the world feeds us this, right? Here we go. Snickers. Hungry, why wait? It's all about you. You're hungry now? Have a Snickers. Don't wait for dinner. Have a candy bar. Will it satisfy? No, we don't care. But it's about you and what you want in this moment. Snickers in and of themselves aren't bad. They're really good. But just, I'm probably thinking way too much into these things. Burger King, have it your way. It's all about you. We'll cater to your needs. These new Diet Coke commercials. Now, Diet Coke is disgusting in the first place. (laughs) But uh, these commercials are so, you want a Diet Coke? Have a Diet Coke. Do you. If that's what you want, just do it. Who cares what other people are doing or what they think? I'm going to walk down the street looking all cool because I'm drinking a Diet Coke. Um, It's all about you. That is the nature of sin. It's all about you. And you will reject and ignore the Father. And if you ever do go to the Father in your unrepentant sin, you will say, I just want your things. Can you just help me to feel good? Can you help me to, to justify myself? before you so that I don't feel all bad and, and, and wicked. Sin causes us to reject God and live for self. And we see that in both sons. both Their sin is the same. They don't want the Father. They want his things for themselves. The gracious love of God, the loving grace of God, this is what just completely destroys all expectations of those that are listening, the Pharisees, the tax collectors, and the sinners, where they have their expectations of the, they their thing. You know, sinners are thinking, what, what's it going to cost me? What do I have to do to earn my way back? And the Pharisees are thinking, yeah, this older son deserves all these things. <laughs> no. Jesus says, that's not That's not God. That's not how this works. You've all got it completely, totally wrong. Jesus is telling the Pharisees you're, you're wrong. you've got it wrong. You missed it. You're living your life incorrectly. Every effort you've had in self righteousness to build yourself up and, and achieve access to God is worthless, it means nothing. Because you don't get it. Of course they want to kill Jesus. He's ruining their life. He's ruining this worldview that they have built their lives around. And I wish I could just see the reaction of the tax collectors and sinners at the hearing of this parable. To where they think, I am... The worst of the worst. They probably aren't even looking at Jesus when he's saying this. They know. They know. And they're thinking, please just tell me what I've got to do. What do I have to pay? How hard do I have to work? And the father ran in compassion and embraced him and kissed him and restored him as his son. Are you, are you serious? Is that really God? Is that really his love? Is his grace so great that, that my sin does not disqualify me? Yes. Absolutely. More than that, it's not just, okay, you're welcome back and let's just kind of forget everything happened. No, we'll celebrate Jesus is telling the tax collectors and the sinners, not only are you welcome freely, completely, not only are you cleansed by the Father and restored by the Father, we're going to celebrate. Because that is the good news. That is why Jesus is there. That is his goal, his purpose, his mission is to bring you back. And the Pharisees, if they would have heard it, and if you and I can hear it, he's telling them, you are lost in your self-righteousness. You cannot see, you need to see that you cannot work your way into the grace of God. You cannot earn your way into the love of God. Let it all go and come into the party enjoy the celebration all that is the father's is yours in one sweeping statement jesus said everything you thought everything you expected about how god would treat you and interact with you is wrong you think you've got it figured out you don't. And if you just hear the words of the Savior, it is by the grace of God, because of His love, that you are welcome. You are welcome into the Father's family. And so don't shy away from. Don't, I mean, don't think that I'm not a Pharisee. It's really easy to identify with the younger son and see that played out. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the, the Pharisee, the older son's heart, is, it's, it's in us, it's our struggle. And, and I know it's just a parable, but playing it out, I think the younger son would have had these struggles too, to think that he had to maintain a certain lifestyle. And isn't that the same for us when we come to Christ, when when the party's over, not that the party ever ends, but when sort of the excitement and the newness of it all is kind of wearing down and and life is getting difficult again. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to go to church. I've got to do these things or the Father's going to kick me out. Absolutely not. You've got it backwards. The Father loves you and is a accepted you and brought you back into the family he loves you and if your motive for doing anything is other than god loves me and i love him if your motive is anything other than that you've got it wrong if you're trying to fight sin in your life because you think you've got to clean yourself up before you can go to god it's wrong and you will lose You you will not win that battle because it's dependent on you and yourself and your will, which is very limited. But when you realize that the Father has given you sonship, has accepted you into the family and restored you and, and cleansed you and made you right before him, his power over sin will be manifest in your life. His strength will be your strength and you can fight that battle, you can Fight those sins. You can live that life not because you have to but because you can and you want to. Right? These two sons, they, they're both within you. And be careful and learn from this parable and know and hear the Father loves you. Not the Father loves you if or the Father loves you when. The Father loves you How do you know the Father Jesus died for you? That's how much he loves you. That God became a man so that he could die for you. Do you hear these words? Do you understand what Scripture is telling you? you? What more do you want? What more do we need? What more do we think we can expect? There's nothing more. God has given us His love. He has laid it out before us. We are standing there outside the party, and, and, and you've heard it. You've seen it. You've understood it. Will you join in the celebration? Will you leave it all behind and accept the Father's love as free grace? That's the question Jesus leaves us with. Let's pray. God, you are far greater than we could ever comprehend. And I pray that we would grow in understanding that we would begin to grasp what is the the great vastness of your love for us. Let that be the driving force in our life that we would want to know and understand and feel and experience and live from your love. If we need to be broken, God, break us. If we need to come to the end of our rope and realize our sin, then bring a famine into our life. Then bring a party into our life to see the hardness of our heart. It is the most difficult thing, I think, but the most necessary thing to ask that, Father, you break us of our misconceptions of who you are and how you work. That you free us to be free in your love. To see Jesus Christ on the cross, the price he paid to grant us access to you as our Father. May we die in his death and live in his life because of his great work, your great love, Displayed through him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.